Welcome to the Friday edition of Unexpected Points. We're going to review a real excellent playoff caliber game between the Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers last night. We're going to get into the discourse. Don't worry. We're going to get into all the discourse, the good, the bad, the ugly surrounding this game. Also going to talk about some happenings from the week. Of course, the biggest thing being the Urban Meyer being fired after I previously canceled him this year. And then lastly, we're going to get some best bets in here, not only from myself, but I'm going to relay some bets from our other data scientist and uh, guest on the show earlier this week, Ben Brown. But for now, let's get into it. Welcome. Uh, Great game last night. Of course, the game will be marred by the discourse. The discourse always comes to get us. Always comes to get us. What we're going to have today, and we've already had, I'm sure. I mean, I'm doing this early in the morning, but by the time this gets onto your podcast apps and you listen to it or you see it on YouTube, we get it uploaded on YouTube, which seems to take longer and longer every week. Uh, You're going to hurt a lot of the discourse, not only last night, but this morning. And this is going to be this is going to be the unholy trinity of bad football discourse today. Not only are we going to hear about fourth down decisions and not taking the points. We're going to hear some about overtime rules and the lack of fairness there because the Chiefs went and scored on their first drive, a touchdown on the first drive, did not give Herbert an opportunity to answer. And then we're also going to hear a little bit about play calling, especially down near the goal line where we kind of strip all agency from these players who are dropping the ball, who are making bad passes and so on and so forth, and just say, just just run the ball, just run the ball, just run the ball. So we're going to get all that today. You're going to see a lot of that out there. Let this podcast be your sanctuary away from that as we methodically and rationally dive into what happened here. Um, Maybe there's an agenda. I was going to say no agendas. Maybe there's a little bit of agenda here, of course, because we are a nerd-friendly podcast, but I'm going to try to keep it as agenda-free as possible. So let's get into what happened in this this game. For those who don't know, the format here is normally I discuss up top the parameters going into this game as far as what the betting markets are saying the actual score and then I have what what is my adjusted score and the adjusted score tries to downweight some of the outlier plays so the big ups the big swings in expected points up or down based upon turnovers depending on how fluky they are something like fumbles being the the most fluky uh, downweight special teams it's going to downweight some of these really critical fourth down plays because of the randomness that generally comes as to whether or not you're converting those. And obviously the Chargers caught the bad side of randomness last night. And it's going to focus more on whether or not a offense is being continually successful because some of those successful plays will then turn into big plays. And when that happens, sometimes you get more of those, sometimes you get less of those. So without going into too too much further, with no further ado, Last night, the Chiefs were closed as a three-point favorite, so it's pretty substantial. Once you get to above the two-and-a-half to three, which is the most common point differential outcome in the NFL, that shows you that they were seen as being a significantly better team. 
especially on the quote-unquote road. I'll put that road in quotes here because we are talking about uh, Los Angeles, and there was a whole lot of red in the crowd for this one. So they're the three-point favorite of 54 total, where early that didn't look like that was going to happen. They didn't look like they were going to get over on that, especially after some missed fourth down conversions by the Chargers near the goal line. But they end up hitting it 34-28. to The Chiefs win six points, as we saw in overtime with that touchdown. My adjusted score is roughly 30 and a half for each team. It's about equal. I was surprised that it was equal. I thought the Chargers would have a better adjusted score on this one than the Chiefs did, but I'll dig into some of the reasons why on this. I mean, primarily the reason why is the Chiefs were passing the ball much more. So because they were passing the ball much more, they had a 73 and a half percent pass rate that was 15% above expectation based upon down distance, score differential, all those sorts of things. And the Chargers were only a 54% pass rate, 2% below expectation, which is a little bit out of ordinary for them, but they were running the ball very well. But even a team that runs the ball well, uh, you lose some juice in your offense. You lose running generally has a lower success rate, and of course it has much, much lower expected points added per play or like an efficiency, how efficient you are on a play-by-play basis. And the Chiefs, despite the fact they had trouble scoring in the first half, um, I mean, not a lot of trouble scoring in the first half, but they did have some trouble scoring in the first half. Despite that, they did have a very strong success rate. Their success rate was 50% in this game, and it was about 52% for the Chargers. So it was very, very, very close here. Now, overall, they were much more efficient because of the fact that they didn't have as many of the fourth down issues uh, and turnover, especially that goal line turnover, that fumble by, um, I can't remember if it was Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson, near the, near the end zone was a huge, huge difference. But even with that turnover near the end zone, the, the underlying story of this game, and if we could replay this and say if the Chargers would have won, the narrative coming out of this game, I believe, would have been, you know, not a passing of the torch as they're both fairly young players, but something like that, that the Chargers are now going to be in first place, that Herbert outplayed Mahomes, and that that shows something about, you know, maybe Herbert's the best young quarterback in the league. You know, the the football media cool kids, as I call them, they love Herbert. They're head over heels about Herbert, but some of it is just having someone new. He, he's the new love. He's, he's your new crush. So you're going to talk about him a little bit more than your, your steady uh, number one that you have. Uh, of Patrick Mahomes that's just hanging out in the background. So that would have been the narrative. But despite that, the success rate, they were they were more successful running the ball, the Chargers, uh, and they actually had a higher EPA per play also running the ball. They were both in the 90th percentile. So that was really the underlying story of the game, should have been the underlying story of the game if the Chargers would have won. But it would have floated under the radar a bit because Herbert makes those wow plays. Um, and... The other thing, of course, that we have to talk about is the fourth down decision. So let's just get into that now, since it's going to be the talk of the town. And I think first I want to start by looking at the individual decisions, and then we're going to get into more of a broad-based discussion on this. So what you're going to see is, on talk of the individual decisions, we had five different fourth down decisions, and they converted two out of five. So I think that's number one is important because there's going to be some talk as if 
they were unsuccessful on all their fourth down conversions. Now, they net lost points on these fourth down decisions. There's no doubt about that. But they still, it wasn't like they were 0 for 5 or something like that. So I think that's important to to think about. Number two, looking at the individual decision. So the first was a fourth and five, where, again, let's look at what happened before this fourth and five. There were multiple drops on what could have been touchdowns, and I think that's also going to be part of the third part of the unholy trinity of of discourse today is discussion of why they didn't run it more near the end zone, despite the fact, of course, they did run it near the end zone later in the game, and you know, sticking the ball out, they ended up fumbling the ball right right near the, the goal line. So this one, fourth and five, despite the fact that it was a little bit longer, uh, you can pin your opponent in. You're in a game where you are the underdog. You, uh, you know, your opponent's going to get the ball first in the second half. It's the first drive of the game. Um, this is an obvious go for it situation. This was a really, really obvious one from five yards out. And I know some people say, take the points, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But this was a pretty obvious one. The one that was the closest decision was the fourth down decision right before halftime. And the reason that that one's a little bit closer is because there isn't the benefit of pinning your opponent back after this. Because it's the last play, essentially, of the half, you're not going to get the benefit. Like, if a team takes over the ball at its own one-yard line or two-yard line, it actually has negative expected points from that situation. It's more likely than not that your opponent's going to score first and you're going to score first in that type of situation. So you don't have that benefit. But then again, it just becomes a simple calculation at this point. Officially, it was fourth and one. It was more like a fourth and two. But even at fourth and two, I mean, think about it. If you have a 50% chance, which I believe the Chargers did in this scenario uh, at 4th and 2, they should have 50 or a little bit better than 50 as a good offense. If you have a 50% chance of scoring 7 points, would you rather have 50% chance of scoring 7 points or a 99% chance of scoring 3 points? Now you're going to get a little bit of juice on average out of the first decision. So I, I wouldn't be, a, you know, if, if they didn't go for this one because it was a little bit more narrow, this would have been the least objectionable in my circumstance if they didn't go for it. But Staley has a plan. Staley is sticking to his plan. Staley knows that he needs points. So I don't blame him for this one at all. But with a four-point lead, you could argue, go ahead and, and, and take your three points there, get your seven-point lead, everything else. But again, they're trying to win the game, especially knowing that Kansas City has the ball first in the second half. Um... And again, you know, these are plays where they could have converted before this. There are drops that happened before this um, that they weren't able to convert. And then the other fourth down decision that's going to get the most grief here is, well, first of all, we're not, we're, like, we're not going to talk about the two fourth downs that they converted, right? Where one of them led to a touchdown, another one led to uh, a Joshua Kelly fumble on third and one near the goal line. Like, we're not going to talk about those ones, of course. Um, But those were ones that they ended up being successful on. And then the other fourth down decision is going to be the most obvious one. That's one where they are passing up a long field goal and instead decided to go for it. Um, Let me find the exact numbers here. So it's fourth and two. They had the ball at the 28-yard line, the Chiefs' 28-yard line. They're up one point at this point. This was 
a big difference. I mean, this is kind of your routine go for it situation where you're getting a field goal that is makeable but not a guarantee versus going for it in a high success rate situation. It's only two yards, but you have the whole that whole deal of the field to work with, which really helps boost up your success rate. So this is the most obvious one. Now, I think for some people, this one especially rubbed people the wrong way because they had missed the ones earlier. But again, a lot of this is, you know, coin flipping that we're talking about here. Players have agency, of course, but, you know, people are saying, well, should you question it if you've already missed a few fourth down tries? Should you then question the next one? No. I mean, do you question the validity the of a coin if you flip heads three times in a row? Of course not. And this is basically what it comes down to in these situations. And now we're going to talk about kind of the, the macro. So this is the whole point. This is this is what you combat any of the narratives you're hearing today, because it's going to be hard to get people out of their heads on specifically what happened in this particular game. Because according to my adjusted score numbers, they were equal or maybe slightly better in this game than the Chiefs, yet they lost. They gave up those points. And with those points, obviously because the game went to overtime, they would have won. So it's very easy to point to, say, if you didn't do the fourth down decisions, if you took the points, you would have won. Well, the thing is, let's go back a little bit on this one here, that the same Chargers team has been doing this all season long. And the reason you do this is not to guarantee a benefit in every single game. You're not going to guarantee a benefit in every single game. You are playing the probabilities. Playing the probabilities are not guarantees. Life doesn't have guarantees. Okay? But what happened was, earlier this season, two different games, the first game against the Chiefs, the Chargers went for a fourth and four where they could have kicked a field goal. And again, they decided to go for it on a fourth and four where they could have kicked a field goal. They got a delay of game. No, actually, they got a false start, excuse me. And then they went for it on fourth and nine where they could have kicked a really long field goal, but instead they went for it. They converted both of those. Both of those ended up being touchdowns. So the extra juice they got out of that was at least eight points, right? Four more points on each of those possessions. And those field goals were not guaranteed. And they ended up winning that game against the Chiefs by seven points. And according to my adjusted game scores, the Chiefs were their better team in that game. The Chiefs turned the ball over a ton, and those fourth downs were really the difference to help the Chargers win that game. So that's one win that they already got off of this. Again, having consistent strategy throughout the year. The very next week against the Browns in a total shootout where both teams put up 40-something points, they went for it on fourth down four different times on their own end, needing four yards. Sometimes they went for it. They went for it needing six yards and other times. Four times converted all four times. The Browns were a much better team in that game, according to my adjusted scores. But because of that, because of the risk that they took on there, they got 11 additional points if you count it. Some of these drives, they were going for fourth multiple times and converting and then eventually getting a touchdown. They got 11 additional points versus if you would have either punted or kicked it in field goal range in that game. And they won the game by five points. So already, twice this year, by having a consistent strategy, which will pay off in the long run, twice this year, they won games that they should have lost. And this one game last night, 
the single game last night, they lost that you could say they should have won. So would you rather have one game that you won? If you said, hey, we're going we're gonna to play the traditional approach, you'd be one and two in those games. If you're playing the, the numbers, playing the enhanced win probability approach, playing the smart approach, I was going to say the aggressive approach, but it's not even the aggressive approach. It's just the smart approach. You're two and one in those games. And if we go further out and further out, if we're talking over multiple seasons, if you're approaching this, you know, over five, six seasons, it's going to be more and more likely that you're going to see a net benefit. But when you look at a single instance or two instances or three instances or a single game or even two games, it's not necessarily going to benefit you to have the right strategy. So while everyone's, we even have, but again, this is a unique circumstance where we even have evidence this year that the Chargers have benefited. Buy a, buy a game by having this strategy this year and by sticking to it, and they weren't going to stop doing it here. So Brandon Staley, kudos to you. Uh, I know you're not going to listen to the noise too much. The rest of us have to deal with it, but that's important to know. This has been a net positive strategy already this season. You don't even have to think about it theoretically. Already in practice, it has been a positive strategy that has netted them a game, even if you say it lost them the game last night. Okay, so that's fourth down discourse here. Uh, What else do we have to talk about in this game? Um, Patrick Mahomes, MVP. Yeah, I don't think he really still is going to get back into it, especially in a game where he didn't necessarily look better than uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, One of the things we talk about, what's interesting is the Chiefs, you know, they also didn't convert that fourth down near the goal line. Um, They also were passing the ball a ton rather than trying to run it in. (laughs) God, every single time I watch Clyde Edwards-Hilaire play, I mean, it's it's, I feel bad for the guy in a way because it's not his fault. But I just I think to myself, I can't believe this guy was their first round pick. And I know people are like, oh, it was the last pick of the first round, so it doesn't really count. But whatever, like he's still their first round pick, and he's you know five seven weighs. 200 barely 200 pounds a little bit over 200 pounds and ran a four six yet he was a first round pick especially looks bad versus jonathan taylor completely crushing so far this year um going in the same draft not that long after not that we want to compare between running backs too much but it is a little bit uh funny on that one another interesting thing about this game which i didn't realize and maybe something to watch going forward is you know the chiefs were not sneaking it on any of these plays they had one where they brought in their second or third string tight end, and then he sneaks it. So I guess, and I asked Chiefs fans and on Twitter, and they responded that, yeah, they don't sneak it anymore. Because if you remember, Mahomes dislocated his kneecap, I believe was what happened, uh, in 2019 on a quarterback sneak. So since then, it's been absolutely no sneaks for them in this game so far. Uh, so let's talk about playoffs because the playoffs are going to be highly, highly impacted here. Let me run some quick numbers based upon those results to figure out what's going to happen with these games. So after last night, of course, Chiefs are in 99% of the time they're in. Their playoff probability, their bye week probability is now up to around 40%. And so they're really taking probability mostly away from the Patriots who are at a little bit lower at this point. So now we're, we're, we're more in the 45-ish sort of percent range for the Chiefs and the 35-ish percent range for the Patriots. Obviously, for the Patriots, it's going to matter hugely what happens the next two weeks when they play the Colts and the Bills as to whether or not they're going to get that number one seed. And then, 
So this really puts not only the Chiefs a couple of games ahead and in the driver's seat for the division, but it's kind of weird. After all that's happened this season, the Chiefs are probably more likely than anyone else at this point to get a bye week and to get the number one seed. It's, it's crazy when you think about what had happened and how bad that defense looked earlier this year. Um, and now they have everything coming together in a way right now. And when we go to the Chargers, who again had a game lead on this pack of teams that were all stuck at seven and six. At eight and five, they had a, a lead over all of those different teams. Now the Chargers, after losing this game, their playoff probability is 72%, 70-ish percent. They have the Texans, the Broncos, and the Raiders left. So three very winnable games for them. But the Broncos are one of these teams that's seven and six. So the Broncos are going to play the Bengals next week. So that, that's helpful for the Chargers because both of those teams are 7-6. and six. So one of them is going to take a loss there. Um, but that Broncos game in particular is the most important game for the Chargers. If, the, if, if they win that game, then they have about a 95% chance to make the, to make the playoffs. Um, if you just assume they win that and we, we have undecided their other two games of the season. So that's going to be the huge critical game. Not this week, but the following week for them. Um, but again, big picture on this game, great offensive performances by both sides, higher grade for Justin Herbert. He had about a 90 grade in this game versus an 82 grade for Mahomes. I think it's safe to say that he played better in this game. Mahomes had that weird-ish strip sack. Uh, but even despite that, because of the fact that he was able to, they were able to convert a lot of third downs, he had a better EPA per play. So he had a better efficiency in this game. And I think what we saw from Mahomes is we're starting to see a lot more of the Mahomes third down conversion master that he's been in the past. That's what he really is differentiates himself from other quarterbacks is the fact that he's so far above others as far as his ability to convert on third down, which is or late downs. So you could also say fourth down, which is generally on a game by game basis, on a play by play basis, fairly random. But he's displayed this throughout his entire career, and we saw what made him great last night. Is he just able to extend these plays, such great pocket presence without getting sacked, and then is able to find guys on those money downs. He does it consistently over and over again, um, and that was a beauty to watch last night for him in particular. And I think we, we maybe don't give him enough credit even in our grading for that because when he manipulates the pocket – and he works out, and then he ends up throwing it to a wide-open Travis Kelsey, who then rumbles down the field all the way down to the one-yard line like he did on one play. Or he finds a wide-open Tyreek Hill, who had this weird move that, that, that he put on, just an unbelievably wicked route that he put on and got wide open. We see those as a wide-open pass, and we say, okay, wide-open pass, we're not going to give Patrick Mahomes any credit. But the way he manipulates the pocket, the way, especially on that Tyreek Hill play, that he turned a blitz that was coming at him. He turned a play in which he's not supposed to have that much time. The defense is playing him as if he's not going to have that much time. The way that he manipulates the time in the pocket in order to find those guys wide open, he should probably be getting a little bit more credit for that than he does. But again, we're grading throws a lot of times versus the entire process because the other stuff that goes into the entire process, there's too many factors that are going into it to have an objective rating on that. But that's something that Patrick Mahomes does consistently, and that's why he you know, in addition to having good weapons, that's why he gets that additional juice on efficiency over his grading on these plays. Okay, before we get on to the news of the week and then the best bets of the week, let's talk PFF subscriptions. Hey, 
Want to get a 25% off a PFF subscription while supporting the pod, while telling Chris Collinsworth and the others here at PFF that you appreciate what I'm doing here? Well, we have that available to you. 25% off with promo code UNEXPECTED. Use promo code UNEXPECTED. Get all the betting information. Get all our DFS information. Get all of our grading information, all of our advanced stats. You can build your own models like I'm building here to predict games and what's going to go on. And you can do that all promo code unexpected, 25% off. And also, sponsor of the pod, DraftKings. Football fans, I'm sure we love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet $1 on any team can score. Uh, Any team to score, excuse me, can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, play some DFS. Millions of dollars of cash prizes available playing DFS, available in all states. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, news of the week. Urban Meyer. I don't want to hit this too much because I'm sure you guys have been completely overloaded with Urban Meyer takes. Um, I'm going to use this as I do from time to time for... Gratuitous self-congratulation on my part. Now, I was pretty silent when the Meyer hire happened earlier this this year, and I just didn't know what to think. Sometimes these college coaches, as we've seen guys like, you know, Pete Carroll came came from college, although he had obviously been an NFL head coach before that. Um, Jimmy Johnson, probably one of the more more famous examples coming from Miami to then work with the Dallas Cowboys and taking them over a very struggling franchise too. I mean, the Jimmy Johnson, when he took over, you know, they were one in 15, one of the most pathetic seasons in NFL history when they take over. So, you know, sometimes these guys can take a lot of pain in their first year and then end up turning things around. And then you've had your Bobby Petrino's, your Nick Saban's, your others who have come to the NFL and quickly turn back around to realize this ain't it for them. So very early on, though, Meyer started to make mistakes. He brought in the strength and training coach that was that had issues in the past of making racist, I guess you could say, I guess it was, uh, statements to players. And he had to backtrack and go back on that. He brought in Tim Tebow, which... I think it was more of an optics problem than anything else. I mean, in reality, if you want to bring in a talented guy, a guy who's somewhat athletic, he was old by that point, so I don't know how athletic he was, but he was definitely athletic in his career before that. And we've seen some tight ends transition like Logan Thomas to be successful, who are former quarterbacks. But it was an optics problem bringing him in, especially just because everyone focused on it so much. Now, I will... I will cop to the fact that I defended it a little bit only because I thought that the focus on it and the hate on it was a little bit over the top. But I probably got caught up in contrarianism on that one. And I could have just let that, you know, it was a battle I didn't need to fight on that one. And I could have just let that one go. But obviously not great. Something I would have done. I just thought it wasn't as bad as people were making it seem. Then 
we have the draft. And in the NFL draft, this is when things first got on my radar a lot about Urban Meyer was the fact that, number one, they take Travis Etienne in the first round. Number two, he says that they wanted Kadarius Toney. So you're already talking about, like, you don't have to say this. You can just keep it to yourself, that you wanted a different player than you actually end up getting. Number three, he says, well, maybe we'll use ETN as a running back slash wide receiver, or he'll be our third down guy, and then we'll have Carlos Hyde and James Robinson as our early down backs. So you're using a first-round pick for a third down running back? You can go sign those guys off of the street for, for barely anything or draft him in the fourth or fifth round. You know, draft Michael Carter in the fourth round if you want someone like that. Um, so that's when he first got on my radar, and I posited on this podcast whether or not he was a quote-unquote donkey, which means just someone who generally makes dumb decisions and can be taken advantage of in these, in, in different games. And I think I came to a probably, but we don't know yet. And people were mad about that, of course. Then we go further into the offseason, and the thing that got him all the way to canceled, and I did, you know, I canceled him. I called it an overdue cancellation before the season was the fact that he had this fake quarterback competition between Gardner Menchu and Trevor Lawrence. And what that hints to, I think, is really, really important to these other issues that we've seen, whether it's the stuff that's going on with James Robinson and not being forthwith when it comes with that sort of decisions, whether it's the arguments that he got into supposedly with Marvin Jones, whether it's, you know, throwing coaches underneath the bus for different things that are really his thing. And that is about just being genuine. You know, we're in the NFL now. You're, you're, these are other men that you're coaching. These are professionals. These are professionals making millions of dollars. You can't pull an okey-doke on them. They sense someone who is being fraudulent, who's trying to manipulate them much better than college students, than teenagers do. And even if these teenagers notice things, they don't have the power to do anything about it. They're going to be out of town in a couple of weeks and a new crop will come in that you can manipulate. So when you have this fake quarterback competition and everyone knows it's a fake quarterback competition, then people know they're being manipulated for no reason other than to, I don't know, try to get Trevor Lawrence to step up to try to prove a point that everyone has to compete for their position. These guys know everyone has to compete for their position. Again, they're professionals. They're adults. They understand this. You don't have to treat them like children. I think that was a first really, really bad incident, and that's what led to its cancellation at that point. And everything else that went on during the season, you know, the incident in at his bar in Ohio and not flying back with the team, and then, like again, the James Robinson stuff, and now this latest thing with Josh Lambeau and what happened there. Yeah, I mean, he had to go. I, along with everyone else on the planet, thought that he had to go just because they couldn't survive another press conference cycle on this, honestly. Can you imagine Urban Meyer having to spend an entire press conference the next time he got to the media talking about all these things over and over again for the rest of the season, votes of confidence, all that sort of stuff, it would have been a complete mess. So maybe they can get out from underneath it with cause. But I think the important thing to focus on here is what are they going to do going forward? Because Meyer, to me, and then going back to the last dominant hire that they made for the Jaguars, who was Tom Coughlin, who ran this organization, I think they were focused a little too much on resume on guys who have, you know, skins on the wall, guys who have championships they can point to. 
And those guys still were not the right people for this job, not the genuine people, not the people who are going to be forward-thinking type of people running the organization. And it's interesting because the Jaguars have always been ahead of the curve when it comes to analytics. They have a different decent amount of people they employ there. Uh, the owner's son, Tony Khan, is very hip on those sorts of things. Um, this is Daniel Adler used to work there as their head of um, analytics and is now kind of co-running things for the Minnesota Twins. And he's he's a guy that I've spoken to a bunch of times, super smart guy. And he was there a long time ago running those sorts of things. But they went away with that, with Coughlin. And then they continued to kind of turn the keys over to Urban Meyer, who didn't know what he was doing. I say, get an organizational structure where you're going to focus on good process across the board and then pick people to bring in. It doesn't necessarily have to be an established name. I'm hearing Jim Caldwell's name out there a lot. Maybe. I don't know a lot about Jim Caldwell beyond his record and beyond the fact that he worked with Peyton Manning, which has been enough to get other people jobs in the past. But you don't necessarily have to go with him. You don't have to go with an experienced person. You want someone who is maniacal about preparation and who is a genuine person when it comes to dealing with the players. That could be Byron Leftwich that a lot of people are talking about. That could, I mean, maybe even Joe Brady. Maybe we take a look at him, even though I know that he's off of people's radar after being fired by the Panthers. But he's a guy that was, according to people I speak to in NFL circles, very, very impressive guys. Who's another guy you can maybe take a look at? There are just lots of names that you could look at here. And I don't think you need to react from one hire to another hire and say, we're going to bring in and turn over the keys to someone else. You want someone who's going to be a piece of an organizational puzzle that values genuine interactions with the players, that values smart decision making, that values methodical decision making, and that values having a process and sticking to it. Those are the important things in this hire, not credibility coming into the building, all those sorts of things. Players will quickly sense who someone is. Someone like um, Matt LaFleur, someone like Brandon Staley, someone like Kevin Stefanski, these guys can come in and quickly gain the credibility of their teams through action, through their words, through following up on what they say they're going to do. Reputation only takes you so far. You can have a reputation for Tom Coughlin or if you're Urban Meyer, if you're someone else, but that reputation can be destroyed very quickly by your actions. So let's focus on the people who are going to have the right actions, not the people who come in with the right pedigree. And that's what I would say. Okay, let's get into uh, best bets now. But before we do, one last ad here, and that's Western and Southern want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. So you have to have some friends to do this, so maybe not good for the Nerds podcast here. Uh, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you. Have it delivered on February 13th, 2020. And don't forget to check out Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. That's one more time. It's westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Okay, let's get back to the best bets here. And I have uh, Ben Brown 
who was part of the podcast on Tuesdays and will be going forward as we have these big reviews. He's a data scientist, uh, you know, degenerate gambler. Well, not degenerate, but he's a smart gambler. He's got some best bets also this week that I'm going to relay to you, although they match up very closely with what my numbers say. So the first one that we have, and this is risky because we're dealing with the COVID here and we don't know what else is going to happen, although it doesn't seem like it's infected the quarterback room for this organization, and that is the Washington football team. And you can get this now 10 at a couple of different places. At our sponsor, DraftKings, you can get plus 10. So Washington football team plus 10 at the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I love the Eagles. I love Jalen Hurts, but 10 points is way, way, way too much. I know they're coming off of a bye. Way, way, way too much. No matter how much the football team is decimated. The scenario that plays out here, and remember, this was a one that opened at like, according to the numbers here, at Eagles one and a half, and now they're 10. The scenario that plays out here that's going to be most troubling is, of course, just trench domination, right? That the Eagles can't be stopped running the ball and that Taylor Heineke can't be protected. And that leads to turnovers. Now, that definitely could play out, but 10 points is giving you a lot of outs here. It's giving you a three-point loss, six, seven, nine, and even a push on 10 here for teams that generally are pretty equally matched this season. So, again, high-risk one. There could be more COVID positives coming out as I'm speaking now. I know they have something like 20 players that were under the protocol right now. But I don't think it's going to be Taylor Heineke that's going to be out for this one. And of course, you're hoping that Terry McLaurin can get out of concussion protocol and can play in this game and so forth and so on. Uh, high risk, high reward, this one, for, for plus 10 for Washington. But we both had numbers leaning towards that at DK. Now, another one that we both have a lean towards is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, the Bengals this week are playing against the Broncos. Now, you know, I generally like the Broncos. So there are a couple different ways that you can play this. Most places have this at two and a half. So if you have it, if you can't, if if wherever you're going, you cannot get it at three. I see points bet here has it at three. If you can't get it at three, you can get money line at a DK right now, plus 135. So I would you definitely take the plus 135 over the plus two and a half. Although you're getting a little bit of juice on the plus two and a half, it's plus 105 at DK. But so the way to play it here is plus 135, because that's leaning towards the three. It's getting closer to the three. So you're not getting you're not getting the benefit of the plus two and a half that you're getting in the money line. So either Bengals plus 135 is the play, or what I'll make down is my official play, just because I'm going to stick to spreads here rather than money line at points bet you can get the three points and it's a basically equivalent between 135 and three let's let me let me get the exact numbers here yeah 135 is exactly what you want to be roughly what you want to be in a game like this at a three-point spread so definitely don't take the two and a half take the plus 135 at dk if you can't find three if you can find three it's equivalent so Take the three there for the Bengals against the Broncos. Bengals had an unlucky-ish sort of loss the week before. They were the better team, according to my numbers on that one. And 
I just think that the Broncos, while they're good and they're playing a mile high, normally the mile high advantage is much stronger early in the season than it is later in the season. And the Bengals are a strong team. They just had some some bad plays here. And the Broncos have been up and down as far as their pass rush is concerned. Last week, they didn't get much of a pass rush, but they didn't really need it. And a couple weeks ago, they did. That's really going to be the key to this game because if the Bengals can get time to allow Joe Burrow to pass the ball, this could be a big, big game for them offensively. Okay, and the next best bet, we were going to have Cleveland potentially, but man, that just got wrecked now with Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum out of the game. So that's probably one that you just cannot touch from a COVID perspective. Um, I got two more, though, for me. This is for me only. One is the Detroit Lions at, oh, we don't have 13 anymore. It was 13 yesterday. Um, Plus 12 and a half. I guess I'll still put it on there, plus 12 and a half. I'm not in love with it now, though. Uh, so plus 12 and a half at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals are hurting a little bit. No DeAndre Hopkins. And I know Hopkins has had a lower target share in recent weeks than AJ Green, about the same as Christian Kirk. They still have Kirk. They still have Green. They still have Rondell Moore. They still have Zach Ertz. But I think DeAndre Hopkins had a bigger impact than what his numbers were saying so far this season, as far as defenses and how they had to play him. So for that reason, I think he's going to have a bigger impact than some people think. And the Lions... You know, it's been up or down for them, but they can really run the ball. And I think if they run the ball effectively against this Cardinals defense, which has been good at pressure, good playing on the back end, that can really help in this game. They've been tremendously overweight running the ball so far this season. So uh, no TJ Hawkinson is a little bit of a problem for them, definitely. Um, that's why I would love to get 13, although 12 and a half, 13, it's kind of not that big of a deal. So that's one. And then guess what, guys? You're not going to see this one coming because you know I'm a Patriots hater. But two and a half. We can get Patriots two and a half. I'd love for that to be three. But Patriots two and a half where let me let me check to see if the money line might be better for this. So actually, or plus 120. You can get a plus 120 on the money line. I'll take that. Um at DK or two and a half at DK. You can get either one right now. This was a weird one where my numbers generally don't like the Patriots, but Coming off of a buy, and so are the Colts coming off of a buy here. Um, they're a little more skeptical of the Colts also, being able to just continue with this run-heavy offense and Carson Wentz limiting turnovers and so forth and so on. So this has, you know, the Colts as being a better team slightly, if you're going to say a two-and-a-half line on this one, even though it's in Indianapolis. So I think that's a little bit weird. And again, a little bit of a lean here for the Patriots. It's not the biggest play I have. The biggest play is... Uh, is, is the Washington football team and the Bengals. These are kind of a, a tear down, these next two plays. But just to show you, I'm not cheating all of my numbers. I'm not always hating the Patriots. I do have the Patriots plus two and a half here or plus 120 if you want to take the money line at DraftKings. All right, guys, those are my best bets for the week. Let's check in next week. We're going to have a full 15 games to review after already reviewing the Thursday night game. No more buys. Lots of stuff to talk about. Enjoy the Saturday football. If we have all the Saturday football, if the Browns game actually happens on Saturday, enjoy your Saturday football. Enjoy your Sunday football. Try to keep your marriages together after this because we're going to have to lock in for the next few weeks going forward. And I'll be talking to you again on Tuesday for the reviews with my man, Ben Brown, to help break things up and bring his unique knowledge as a data scientist also here at PFF. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you then. (laughs) 